Welcome to That's Pretty Cool, episode two, second episode, rolling at you into your ear holes from our mouth holes. (laughs) Maybe you heard our first episode and you liked it so much you came back for the second episode. Yeah. If this is your first time hearing us, welcome. I'm Bija. I'm Jasper. And we're the duo behind That's Pretty Cool. Awesome. Be like new here. Then go and check out our first episode. Uh, it's all about Halloween. Yeah, it's pretty good, even though it's probably close to Christmas right now. <laughs> uh, you can also find us on Instagram. That's pretty cool podcast. We're on Facebook. And we have email. That's pretty cool podcast at gmail.com. Send us a note. Tell us how much you love us. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, just say hi. Or if you got a cool idea and you want to share it, you can do that too. Or if you want to collab. Totally. We can do that. That would be really fun. Don't forget to like us, review us. Subscribe. On whatever platform you listen to. The other thing you can do is... Share. Good times. Good times. Yeah. We're all about having fun. All right. So yeah. this episode, we're going to talk about the Chapman Swifts. Tiny little birds that yep. flock by the thousands. It's going to be great. So, sit back, relax, enjoy, and here's the episode. So, what school do you go to, Jasper? Chapman Elementary. Chapman Elementary, and that's located in the northwest hills of Portland, Oregon. Uh, it's an old school. It's like 100 years old or something. Yeah. It's got brick on the outside and big columns at the front steps and a playground and astroturf and little hills and a cool community garden and a huge chimney and every september chapman becomes the coolest place to visit in the evenings because of the chapman swifts the chapman swifts those are tiny little birds that flock to the school on their migration from southern Alaska and they go all the way down to like northern Venezuela. But every year during that migration, they make a pit stop here in Portland and they roost in that massive chimney that is located outside of Chapman Elementary School. Um, pretty cool. Yeah. Really neat. Um, so tonight we're going to head over to school. Hopefully we'll be able to record a little bit of the birds making some of their sounds. There'll probably be some people there, and maybe we'll get to talk to them, too. So, let's go! <laughs> Alright, it's about 6 o'clock, and Jasper and I are sitting on the Steve Brand Field outside of Chapman Elementary School, right below the giant chimney, and there are swifts in the sky. Yeah, um... Yeah. They look like tiny black dots just moving around. You can hear them though. Yeah, they, no, they, they look like arrows. They do kind of look like arrows. Their wings are kind of like crescent shaped and they have a flat ended tail and they're swarming in these like big clouds. But um, how many do you think there are? A mm, hundred, a bit more. I mean, a lot does look like a little though. It's true. I have a hard time estimating how many there are. I just can't tell. 
I think that there's way more than there usually are because they move so quickly. They're flying around, probably looking for insects. Yeah, they're carnivores. Carnivores. So there's kids playing on the field. There's grown-ups sitting on the hill with their picnics. And it's not very crowded tonight. I think the gray weather is keeping a lot of people away. We were here a couple weeks ago, and it was packed. The whole field was covered. There were people lined up on the playground and the tennis courts and stuff. But the rain keeps them away. So up on the hill, there's an Audubon Society table. And some volunteers are talking to people, telling facts about TWIPS. So we're going to go check it out. And here it is. Uh, my name is Lindsay, and I'm a volunteer with Portland Audubon. Uh, and we're here with the Chapman Swifts tonight. They do this every year um, around September. They make their way from about southwest Alaska or southeast Alaska um, all the way down south to Central America. And they stop here along the way. And they stop at a lot of different places. You can see. There's a map. If you have like a blog, you can put like a little picture. <laughs> There's a map yep. of uh, the different places that they stop and roost. Um, they usually stay just a few days. Uh, we don't know exactly how long they stay, um, and we don't know how many times they come back really. <laughs> um, but they just keep going, and there 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 are a lot of them. How many have there been this year? So it's been variable. It just this year has been atypical because there has been so much rain. Um, so on rainy nights, a lot of times they won't roost. A lot of them won't roost in the chimney. They'll fly off to Forest Park. Um, so and on those nights, we're not out here counting either. So there, I think there's been a high of maybe nine thousand. I don't know. Last year there was around um, thirteen thousand. There's a, that's a lot. There, yeah, that was a lot. Um, this is my first Swift Watch year. I mean, I've been here to see them, but my first time volunteering. So, how do you count one. them? Like to me, it's just like tons of little dots flying everywhere. <laughs> right. Yeah. So they have. We have uh, usually two people sitting over there, and they have binoculars, and one of them is looking into the chimney, and they're watching. And every ten that goes in, they click. Um, so they have to kind of pay attention to how many go are going in and how many are coming out as well because they also come out. So they have to be pretty good at it. I feel like they do, they get pretty good at it, though. Um, so it's usually an approximation, but they, they are pretty good at it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. The other cool thing that we learned about them is that when they go into the chimney, and we'll have a picture of this chimney on our Instagram page, but they latch onto the sides of the chimney with their little claws. Yeah. and they have tail spikes. Right. And the tail spikes latch into the chimney. It's pretty wild. I never would have imagined a bird would have tail spines. Yeah, um, we might have that picture too. Whoa, look at all this. <laughs> the airplane flying overhead seems to have like agitated them and there's like so many right now just kind of flying everywhere like what's happening the other thing we got to see the Audubon Society table for the Swift Watch they had all these cool things on the table they had some actual like taxidermied versions of the birds and stuff but they also had nests yeah and the nests um they're made out of swift spit and sticks and twigs but 
to attach them, they use swift spit. It's kind of gross. But there's that famous soup that you can get that's made with like sparrow spit or something. Bird's nest soup. It's where they, it's, it's a Chinese delicacy where they make this soup out of these swallows, I think, swallow nests, and they cook them. It's really famous. Anyway, I've never had it. Um, the other thing, oh, the eggs were tiny. Yeah, the egg. She didn't know the person that we're, we were talking to. She didn't know if they were real eggs or fake ones, but... Regardless, they were representative, and yeah. they were teensy, tiny little yeah. things. Whoa. Okay, more so. Oh, my God. Me. So they keep, like, flocking in. Some kind of signal goes out to the swifts. Maybe it's the changing of the light or the temperature. I don't know, but they all of a sudden Gee. just start appearing. And maybe you can hear them in the background. Yeah. Of course, it feels like they get quiet. But they have a very <laughs> diverse sound set. Like, most birds have one kind of a call, but a, a vox swift has, like, chirps and screeches and um, like these different noises that they make. I'm following a single swift. What? I'm following a single swift. <laughs> so the Vox Swift, that's V-A-U-X, is a bird that is, let's see, we've got some interesting facts. So last year the peak of the Vox Swifts were 12,920. That's a lot. That is a lot. The average miles that a box swift travels during migration? 6,500. Right. And the number of days it takes a box swift to travel from northwest Washington to southwest California? Uh, 30. That's usually. pretty wild. So why are they in the chimney? Because, oh, the volunteer was telling us, they yeah. used to roost in dead trees, but... Uh, their you know, second humans- priority chimneys right they prefer a tree but humans have cut down so many of them that yeah. they're using things that humans make so what do what do vox swifts eat uh spiders ants moths and flies and other flying insects so that was pretty cool all the swifts and that but we still had a few questions so we went down to the audubon society and t- talked to a scientist. Can you tell us your name and a little bit about what you do for the Audubon Society? Yeah, my name is Joe Liebesite. I'm the staff scientist and avian conservation manager for Portland Audubon. And my job is running our community science or citizen science programs. Um, We have about 12 different projects, and it's a way to get people um, that are amateur biologists or or naturalists to help contribute to science, um, to help inform our policy and conservation work. And I also run our coastal marine program to try to do conservation work on Oregon's coast. Why are they called Vox Swift? Uh, Vox Swift are named after a person whose last name was Vox. I don't know much about uh, his background, but um, it's some people say Vos Swift, but it's actually um, pronounced Voxes because that's the way he pronounced his name. I was one of the ones that called it Vos Swift because I have French background. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's probably the right way to do it. <laughs> Can you tell us about them? Yeah, um, Voxes Swifts are a type of songbird, and um, 
they are uh, songbirds are um, a group of birds that are one of the most successful group of birds in the world over the 10,000 or so species of birds that there are in the world more than half of them are songbirds are in, and um, uh, Swifts are actually related to uh, hummingbirds did you know that? Did yeah. not know that. Yeah, they're, uh, that's one of their closest relatives, and um, swifts are known for their um, ability to just do everything while they're flying. So they eat while they're on the wing, uh, a lot like a swallow. Swallows are very similar birds. They're they eat uh, insects that are flying. Are called aerial insects, and so when you see them out during the daytime, they're usually um, flying around catching insects. And they also will drink water from the air. They'll go down and dip down and um, put their beaks in the water and take take water. Uh, they'll also mate in the air, too. A lot of people didn't know that. Didn't know that at yeah. all. So they spend a lot of their life uh, in the air. And we see them here in Portland year-round. Well, not year-round. In the summer, we see them. And in the fall and spring. In the winter... They spend their winters down in Central America and South America. So they're also what's known as a neotropical migrant. So the neotropics are the New World or um, Western Hemisphere uh, tropics. And there are a lot of different bird species that migrate uh, up here to breed in the summer and down there in the winter. And a lot of those species are species of conservation concern because over the decades, researchers have found that a lot of these species are declining, and that includes the Voxa swift. Wow. Yeah. Do hummingbirds migrate too? So if hummingbirds really... migrate too, but not all of them do. The oh. Anna's hummingbird, which is one of the most common species around here, they actually are a resident. They don't. Yeah. Move, they won't move around. But then there's one that comes to our feeder. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're a real common feeder bird. <laughs> But the, uh, the, the rufous hummingbird is a type of hummingbird that you'll get in the summer here, but they migrate um, south of here in the winter. And they actually will breed, that species will breed further north in like Alaska. And they're the most northern um, breeding hummingbird in the world. Didn't know. <laughs> what, what do they eat? Swifts? Yeah, lots of Well, like I said before, swifts eat um, uh, bugs that fly, so a lot of insects fly, like flies, yeah. of course, flies. mosquitoes, and even some beetles fly, things like that. Anything but they can find in the air. Basically. Anything they can find in the air. Cool. What do they look like? Swiss, sometimes people say they look like um, they're the shape of a cigar because their tail isn't very pronounced, so it's kind of a rounded butt they have, and they don't have a very big, big beak either. So they kind of have this like cigar shape and their wings are really um, long in compared to their body and they're swept back and pointed. And so they, uh, they flap their wings really fast too. And they'll take breaks in between flapping their wings. So that's something that you can use to identify them. We discovered at Chapman that they have spines on their tails. Yeah, they use those to prop themselves up against the chimney when they're when they're nesting and they're hanging out and roosting in the chimneys. I imagine it didn't develop because of the chimney. So it's it's evolution. <laughs> yeah, and it's not because of chimneys because um, foxes, swifts historically um, nested in. Um, 
cavities in trees. And we see them here at Chapman in the fall, right? Because they're, they're, it's during migration, they're finished nesting and they all come together from different places to, um, to form these big flocks. And then they find places like Chapman Chimney to roost in overnight while they're migrating. They migrate during the day and then at nighttime they find a place to roost. And historically, they, they roosted in really big cavities and like old growth trees. But um, because of a lot of logging that's gone on in the past hundred years in the West Coast, there's not as many of those kind of places available for them to roost. So they've been able to take advantage of chimneys and other human structures for, for roosting. Awesome. Do they have predators? They do have predators. And have you ever seen them uh, when they're flying into the chimney at night at Chapman? Yeah. Have yeah. you ever seen any of the, the predators that might get them? No. No? I don't think well, so. sometime go there and you're likely to see a Cooper's hawk, maybe. Mm-hmm. Cooper's hawk is a kind of a medium sized hawk and they specialize on eating songbirds. And they've learned that during the fall, the Voxes Swift will use the Chapman chimney just to fly into. So they kind of go there for dinner sometimes. We've heard and, rumors of this hawk, yeah. but we've never seen it. Yeah, and uh, it's not there every night, yeah. um, but sometimes you'll see it there, and it will perch sometimes right on the chimney and <laughs> wait for a Swift to come in. not even going to make it hard. <laughs> yeah. And also, peregrine falcons will oh. eat Chapman Swifts, or Swifts as well. Wow. So that's another predator they have. And when they're nesting, uh, um, some mammals can get them. So not typically not in a chimney, because um, they nest in smaller chimneys, like in yeah. people's houses. Um, but like I said before, there were people around. Before there were white people around living in in the in North America, they li- they nested in smaller cavities, and things like raccoons and squirrels and animals like that can get in cavities and if they're nesting and the chicks are helpless and not able to fly they can get eaten by uh, predators like that um how did they know to fly in formation um that's something that not a lot of people are studying and don't really know for sure and i don't know if they know that they're that how they how they fly together in formation they just do it it's just a it's just the same way that lots of animals kind of flock together or herd together. Um, and the reason they do it, um, there's lots of different theories, but um, some people think it's to avoid predators because if you have a large group of animals together, they can either keep their eye out more effectively for predators that are nearby. So many eyes theory, they call it, or many eyes hypothesis. Um, and they can also mob um, predators more easily. If there's a lot of animals, a lot of birds around, if there's a predator around, sometimes they'll dive at it and scare it away. Crows are known to do that a lot. Say, I've seen crows do that. Would yeah. swifts do that too? Um, swifts will go after predators too. Um, Interesting. So, so that's, that's uh, part of the reason why they flock together. Yeah. Why do you count swifts? We count swifts because... Um, we want to get an idea of their population. And so we count the swifts up to the Chapman chimney, which has the most swifts that have been recorded, as far as I know, in the Northwest during fall migration. And there's a network of different volunteers that, that 
count the SOS as they go into the chimney all along the West Coast and they get submitted to a central database and that's used to help track the population trend of the species. Yeah. So, so do you, you track them as they go south and you watch the population like grow as well or stay the same? Yeah, it's more of a it's more of a trend um, of the of the birds. Um, because one thing is we don't really we, we know how many birds go in there on a given night, but we don't know how many of those birds are the same birds from a previous night. Right. So, but over time, if we know for a month period about how many birds have stayed there, and we see a, um, and we see any kind of change in that, it gives us an indication of how the population's doing. Gotcha. So, yeah. how many birds go on the migration, like in one migration? Um, you I, know, I don't, I can't remember off the top of my head what the global population estimate is for that species, but I know that on any given night. Um, we, we've had as many as, I think, 15,000 birds that have stayed in the chimney on one night. And so when they're migrating, they don't all migrate in one night, right? So right. they're, you know, they're, they have, they, some birds get an early start, some birds are a little bit later. And so um, without knowing individual birds, a lot of biologists will put a, uh, a color marker on a bird, like a, a ring around their leg. And... Um, uh, I don't know how many people have done that with with foxes, swifts, but um, that would be the best way to know how fast birds are moving from one place to another. Another way to do it would be to put a radio tracking device on the bird to see how fast they're moving down. Mm -hmm. But um, it's hard on small birds because small birds can only take so much weight on their body, and we don't want to, you know, we don't want to harm the birds as they're migrating down. Um, but we do know that they probably stay in an area for at least. For anywhere from a couple of nights to even as long as a week or more. And that depends on how much fat they put on their body because they're constantly eating food during the day. Mm -hmm. And um, they put that body, that put that um, energy in their body as, as fat stores. And then um, if they don't have a lot of fat storage on their body, a lot of extra energy they can expend while they're migrating, they might have to stay in an area longer to forage before they can move to the next area. Gotcha. I guess I never really thought about it, but it's like different groups of birds. I mean, it totally makes sense when I stop and think about it, but for whatever reason, I'm just like, oh, it's a swift, they're here, they're hanging out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How far does a box swift fly? Um, they fly, uh, if you take their whole migration, they can breed as far north as British Columbia up into Canada and make their way all the way down to, like, Venezuela. So... Um, and it, it could take them, you know, a week or more to get from from BC to uh, Venezuela, which is pretty amazing for a really tiny bird that's only a few grams. Right. So only um, a week. But we don't know. I don't know how much information there's out there um, on how long their hops are from one stop stopover point to another. Mm -hmm. um, so I would think that in one day they could migrate several hundred miles if they needed to or wanted to. Um, between stopover points. That's impressive. What did they roost at Chapman Elementary? Um, yeah, so the Voxes Swift, um, during the fall migration, they can cluster in these big numbers. And that's because they finish nesting and they're starting their migration. And like I mentioned before, they will form these big groups to you know evade predators and to travel together. Um, and so for some reason, the Chapman Chimney is an ideal location for them um, to form, to, to go to uh, roost in there in large numbers. 
and we don't really know exactly why, but it probably has to do with um, the size of the chimney. It can fit a fair amount of birds. Other chimneys are smaller, so not as many can fit in there. Could also be with the location in relation to other features in the landscape, like Forest Park isn't too far away, mm-hmm. or maybe it's at a certain point in their migration where it's a good place for them to stop for the night. So uh, we don't know for sure, but it has to do with a number of those those factors. Cool. Um, how long have they been roosting at the chimney? Um, I am not sure, but definitely at least over twenty years, because I know that. Um, that Portland Audubon and Chapman School worked together a number of years ago, over 20 years ago, to save the chimney because it was starting to become uh, unstable. And so um, there was an effort to raise some funding to retrofit the chimney so that it would last a long time. And it actually, the chimney doesn't actually, um, the, 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 um, the um, heater uh, is no longer connected to the chimney, so it's there just for the birds right now. That's pretty cool. And that's that's one thing that um, other people, other um, people around the country and Canada, can do to help uh, this bird uh, that's experiencing conservation issues right now. Um, since we've taken a lot of their habitat in the form of big trees. One thing we can do is try to leave some big chimneys for them that they know that they we know that they use during the migration, and uh, so I think it's a success story at Chapman and how they were gonna they were thinking about removing that chimney but kept it just for the birds, mm-hmm. and I think it's a success story for a lot of reasons because it helps the birds. It's a place where people in the city can connect with nature. We've had as many as 3,000 people on a given night going there just to watch the birds, just to watch that spectacle of the, we call it the swift tornado as they go into the chimney. And so I think uh, there's a lot of benefit from saving birds, not just for the birds, but for people too. It's awesome. Um, do, do birds die in there? What happens to the chimney? That's a good question. Birds do sometimes die in there, and we find them because... I actually put a, a, um, a temperature logger in the chimney at the beginning of the fall migration. So in August, in late August, before the birds roost in there, I get a, p- a couple pieces of PVC pipe, I attach them together, and I put a little temperature logger on there that takes readings every 20 minutes. And we're actually going to be removing them from the chimney pretty soon because migration is almost over. And that gives us an idea of another factor of what the birds might be responding to in terms of using the chimney. Um, but when we, in order to put the temperature loggers in the chimney, we get permission from Chapman Elementary to go there. And there is at the bottom of the chimney is a little door that you can open. And as you can imagine, after a full fall of birds, thousands of birds going in there, there's lots of there's lots of uh, foxes, swift poop or guano, as we like to call it. And sometimes we'll occasionally find a dead swift that has fallen into the guano. Um, and I'm not sure how they die. Maybe they're just getting old and, you know, they, they fall off the chimney and fall in and they can't uh, fly back out. And uh, that might be one of the reasons why they die. We don't find many, but occasionally we'll find a couple in there. And on a, as a side note, one thing we do is we shovel out the, the the swift guano, and it makes really good fertilizer. Some some of our staff members here at Portland Audubon 
They've actually used the swift guano in their garden, and they've gotten really nice big tomatoes from there. <laughs> awesome. Um, I guess the last question is, is there anything that kids can do to help the Vox Swifts? Yeah, I think what kids can do to help Vox's Swifts is to um, tell your friends about the Swifts and how they're a species that we're really concerned about. And um, you can let them know that every fall you can see Swifts migrating and you can go to Chapman Elementary. And when you get a little bit older, maybe when you're you know, 12 or 13, or maybe even 10, you can help with the swift counts. And we do that every night. We try to do it every night during the months of September every year. And we generally have two volunteers. One of them is an experienced bird counter. And then we have another volunteer that's a scribe or someone that's recording the data. And so a good way for a young person to start out doing that would be to be a scribe and then practice doing practice counts. We use a clickers and um, uh, we count the birds in, in groups of 10 or more as they go in that chimney and it's an estimate but that's how we do it and so that's another way you can help cool. is there anything else you'd like us to know um i think i covered that's <laughs> pretty in-depth uh, yeah yeah. Well, um, yeah thank you for taking the time yeah this no awesome. problem how, how old are you uh, nine nine you're in fourth grade? Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Cool. Is gotcha. this for you getting any credit for this or is this for fun? Uh, for fun. <laughs> cool. Jasper, what was your favorite Swift fact that you learned? Um, it's a hard one, but I would probably have to go with the tail spikes. That's pretty cool. I mean, birds with spikes on their tails, kind of freaky. I think my favorite fact was that they learning that they do everything on the wing, which means they do everything while flying. So they eat, they drink, they make babies all while flying, which is, seems pretty exhausting, but I'm not a Swift. Thank you to Joe Liebesite for spending his afternoon with us and giving us all kinds of great answers uh, to our in-depth questions about the Swifts. Thank you to the Audubon Society in general for saving the Chapman chimney and giving the Swifts a place to live. Yeah. Uh, hopefully you will tune in to episode number three. Um, which is all about the Savi Island Jubilee. Well, we go to the Jubilee, but it's really all about Savi's Island. We're going to talk to some artisans, some nature advocates, some farmers, and we're going to learn lots of cool things about Sabi's Island. We also take a nature walk, and Jasper catches some pretty cool creatures, but you'll have to tune in to episode three to find out what those are. And don't forget to like, subscribe, comment if you want. And um, special thanks to the Bushrods for making that super cool song. It's true. They made the song That's Pretty Cool before we made the podcast That's Pretty Cool, but it was a match made in heaven. So check out the Bush Rods on Spotify. Give them a listen. They're awesome. And again, huge thank you for tuning in and checking out episode number two. We hope to have these rolling out maybe once a month, maybe a little more. Depends on some technical issues. Uh, you can email us at uh, That's Pretty Cool Podcast at gmail.com Alright, have a good one That's pretty cool I get out
Scientist thing. Sound better. What? Talk to a scientist. He's a scientist. Talk to a scientist about birdies. Birdies or just nature? Birds. Burbs. Burbs. Okay. That. Okay. (laughs) Take like 50,000. That's pretty cool.